Okay, here we go. Welcome to the Time Lords podcast. We go beyond the buzzwords to learn exactly how people are building the industrial internet of things and using time series data to transform their businesses. I'm your host, Lonnie Bowling. Today, I'm joined by guest Seth Gregg, Innovation Engineer, Emerging Technologies, Global Beverage Innovation and Strategy at Ball Corporation. It's a big title. I'm really excited. <laughs> Hi, Seth. Welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you doing today, Lonnie? I'm doing really good. Thanks. Uh, so those that are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So I, that title, I think length is uh, reversely proportional to like importance of what you do. So <laughs> just, you know, adding things on there to, to make myself seem a little bit more important. Fair enough. Um, fair enough. I'll remember that as we talk. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Please do take everything I say with a grain of salt. We'll keep the We'll keep the questions extremely simple for you. Okay? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> So, um, so what I do now is work within emerging technologies for Ball. Mm -hmm. um, they have an innovation group whose main goal is to kind of look at new things. And so new things for Ball, my side of Ball, is mostly around um, beverage can making. So aluminum cans. Ball is one of the largest, uh, is the largest manufacturer of aluminum cans in the world. Okay. Cool. And so a lot of innovation for them is working with metals. Um, I am a little bit of an exception to that because I'm kind of pointed in the direction of technology. And mm -hmm. within that is then kind of the data science, um, data infrastructure realm. And and so how I got into the whole data science realm is is a little bit of the backstory. That yeah, yeah, I definitely want to. I definitely want to talk about that. So at Ball, then you're. Uh, so, so you guys are making aluminum cans and, um, you know, I know a little bit about aluminum cans because they hold, uh, beverage beverages within, um, which I drink a lot of, and I won't mention what, which ones they are, but <laughs> if anybody listens to this podcast for very long, they're going to be able to figure it out. Um, so I, I think aluminum cans are kind of fascinating in a weird way because I've noticed just from, uh, just from the casual use from the consumer side that they they change over time. They've gotten way like lighter. Like after my beverage is empty, which is a sad thing, uh, the the can I've noticed seems very very light. So what's the story with 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 what's happening with aluminum cans? Because it's a very basic thing, right? You would think, okay, well, aluminum cans have been around for a long time, uh, but I, I imagine there's a lot more to that. So you know, absolutely, you me coming into ball was kind of the same way as well you know what's the deal with aluminum cans i, I never really thought about them a whole lot before uh -huh. and it it's fascinating it's been fascinating to see the whole process uh -huh. and you kind of think of it from a couple of pretty simplistic points of view and that is the lighter you can make them and they uh -huh. still do their job then reduced material reduced energy reduced cost all of that so there's constantly it's worth always doing little tweaks to the design because if you just save you know a micro percentage over every can and you have a few billion cans it, it's a big deal so you guys are making like you, you guys's cans are like in the billions as oh, yeah. far as how many Absolutely. you make mm -hmm. wow wow that's amazing uh so so yeah it's kind of like that uh 
I don't know, there's been movies where, you know, like if you shave a, a, a hundredth of a cent off of every transaction at a bank and you put it in somebody's account, they're going to be like, you make a lot of money, right? Because there's so many transactions. Exact so it's like that, right? Of, if, yep. you, if you can find like 0.0001% savings, that's going to be like massive, right? <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. yeah. But then you think of it from an individual standpoint, you know, each can is almost worthless. So that's kind of the... That's the paradigm of what Ball deals with is individually these things are almost worthless, but they're making so many that at scale, you know, little changes can be a, a big deal. But that means any sort of new innovation has to be able to scale to that big deal. So if you go in and you say, you know, you can save a couple of cans on along one line and they'll uh-huh. hold the plants, you know, it, it's worthless. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> nobody wants to save any cans. It's like... <laughs> it's like they they had to get that under control pretty quickly i'm sure if they're making billions of these things right oh yeah we can't have like point you know we can't have like five percent uh rejects right because then your rejects rates are like you know in the millions (laughs) it's like what are you gonna do with all that well in the other side of the coin so there's the very you know fundamental mechanical engineering metal bending like good old-fashioned old school engineering and then there's the other side of it that's actually almost more valuable probably is in the long run and that is the graphics on the outside of the can so that is where a lot of innovation happens oh wow coatings that go on it you know they they, now they change colors and they do all sorts of you know different things in the drawings and the art department i mean that is when you think about it that's the customer our customers who make those beverages that you probably enjoy Uh uh-huh uh that's them advertising to their customers. You, yeah, and the, the artwork, the artwork is, uh, you know, like uh, with craft craft beer, for example. Not that I um, would know much about that. Um, <laughs> by the way, there is one podcast interview that I've done, uh, and hopefully, I, when we talk about this, I already published it. But I do. Uh, I, I interview somebody from a craft brewery, from a Deschutes Brewery, and he's a data scientist guy, so it's pretty cool. But anyway, that's just a plug for one of my other shows. Uh, anyway. Uh, you know, with uh, with the graphics and stuff, the graphics are really quite uh, extensive now, and they change a lot. You know, like with with craft breweries, there are always the, you know tons of different types of labels. Um, you know, I don't know if I don't know if if that if that's on the scale of ball because ball, you know, is obviously making a lot millions or billions of these things. But but anyway, it's just kind of I could definitely see how that's a whole potentially even you know more money involved way more money involved in that part than the can itself the can's just kind of like uh yeah we we just make a lot of them we're gonna make them cheap but we we need to you know this fancy artwork is where the money is and then the the third area is really the coatings on the inside so traditionally you know you if you have like a a beer or something that's Mm -hmm. it doesn't take a fancy coating to make a beer last and taste good Okay. Uh, but as you get to lighter and lighter contents on the inside or more acidic, now you have to start to go with uh, fancier and fancier coating. So that's a big area of research and innovation for them as well. Oh, as okay. in, you know, both from sustainability, so trying mm-hmm. to keep the coating sustainable, but also, for instance, water, just still water is a big thing now moving to cans, but still water should be flavorless, completely flavorless. Well, right. it's hard to make a coating that is completely flavorless or it's hard to even know if you're making a coating that's completely flavorless. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I never even thought about the coating. So that's pretty interesting. So, Hey, I want to take a side, a sidetrack here to, to kind of like, uh, cause you mentioned your backstory and, and I think you do have a, a kind of an interesting path um, that you've taken to get to where you are right now. 
Um, when I first, I think when we first met, you had just, uh, you, you had just finished school for maybe the second time. <laughs> and, uh, and before that you're, you're kind of like, uh, you're kind of like doing what I, what I have been doing most of my career where it's, you know, a lot of, uh, just basically basic electrical engineering controls and controls engineer, uh, maybe, you know, getting into data, doing, um, you know, system integration work, that kind of stuff. And then you decided at some point that, uh, you wanted to go a different direction. This is, I think this is around the time when, um, you know, machine learning data science really kind of like started coming up. So you want to just share a little bit about, you know, kind of like what, where you were, what made you decide to shift directions and then, and then what kind of path did you have to take to get there to where you are now? Well, when you say interesting background, I think that <laughs> code for that means is I was stumbling around, like, uh, accidenting into things. Uh-huh. <laughs> and when you look back, it was interesting. Uh-huh. <laughs> but at no point was I thinking, oh, this is strategically what I should be doing next. Uh-huh. The most sense. <laughs> so, uh-huh. so what I kind of accidented into is I started off in reliability and vibration analysis. And that's probably where I first got my taste, you know, foreshadowing here for Mm -hmm. more of the data stuff is it's data rich, heavy data in signal processing and collecting um, condition monitoring data and trying to predict what might be happening to pieces of equipment. And Uh um, I did that for a few years as kind of a consultant right out of school. Fascinating. And I kind of at one point said, man, there's, I'm having a hard time. I see that companies, I think what's obvious in being having reliability programs, companies don't necessarily always see that. Uh It's certain little pockets of companies that do it really well, but you show the, you know, what's going on. And oftentimes it doesn't spread well, doesn't scale really well. And so I thought, well, Hmm. maybe there's more I need to know. There's definitely more to this all. Right. And um, so I had an opportunity again, this wasn't like a planned out thing. It was kind of (laughs) like, oh, look, you know, I could go do field service on compressor systems and take my vibration training with me. Uh, this was for Sundyne, a company that makes high speed, like uh, up to 45, 50,000 RPM compressors. Wow. Yeah. And they want to know someone who knows controls or is least willing to learn it. And I was like, mm-hmm. I can learn controls. You know, I've got I've got this. So then I kind of traveled around the world starting up these compressor systems and and looking at them from a vibration reliability perspective, but also learning how to work in the controls, how they interact with the rest of the system. And uh, fascinating, but, you know, being on the road, a lot of international travel all the time, right? kind of wears you down. And so again, it was kind of like those, you pick your head up and you look around and it's like, oh, hey, there's this, this company that does just controls. They're an integrator. Uh-huh. And, you know, I kind of know controls, so let's go check that out. I don't have to travel basically, you know, not too much. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And so then you kind of, I kind of get head on into learning how to project manage control systems. And we, I did a lot of work in the front range here with Excel energy in their natural gas system. And so a whole new thing. So there's compressors there. So Mm -hmm. I kind of knew those, but Mm -hmm. also just seeing in a large scale, how kind of utilities run and how these projects pop up and how they interact with um, other projects that are going on. Right. Completely different view. And I actually 
didn't do a whole lot of controls work at that point. It was mostly kind of assisted managing projects and understanding how to get something done in kind of a kind of crazy environment. And so again, you know, after doing that for a little while, I was like, I don't think project management is for me. I really like the data stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's, there's, this was probably 2014, 2015. There seems to be a lot of cool things going on right now yep. around yep. data. I loved working with data when I did it in the vibration world. I, you know, I think that it's time to go back to school and really dig into some of this. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's what I did. Went to School of Mines. And I wouldn't say they're no they're known for fundamental engineering, right? Right. Necessarily known for like data science, uh-huh. and and that was actually fine because I am not a mathematician, uh-huh. and I am not a statistician, and I'm not a computer scientist. Right. And those are kind of the the fundamentals of true like research data science. Yes. You know, yes. Super smart people out there. Yep. Doing math that I don't understand. Uh-huh. And I was really able to approach it from, well, let me learn what's going on and the cool stuff about this and mm-hmm. see if I can't apply it to okay. what I've been doing, because that's right. what I think I'm going to want to do when I get out of all this is yeah. learn some, some data science, apply it to something that I know, a problem that I already know exists. Right. And boy, when I get out of school, this is going to be what everyone wants. Right? <laughs> that was, again, that uh-huh. was actually a little bit of a vision there. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that was a good call, I think. Um <laughs> Yeah, put you in a good place. Right. Um, but even to that point, so I I was able to do a lot of research, wrote a couple of papers, and it was all around um, condition monitoring on large hydro turbines. Mm-hmm. Big assets, very expensive, trying to predict using some different machine learning type of algorithms when they are going to need repair on cavitation, so cavitation on the huge turbines, or, or on their uh, blades. And I was like, this is great. You know, I know so many different areas where this type of thing could be used. It's all uh-huh. time series, a lot of signal processing. You know, I've got it. And, and it right. was hard. I'll tell you, it was a really hard to put those together. To, not just the learning of the, um, the math and all of that, but really like trying to frame the problem uh-huh. so that you're solving a real problem and in the world of academics, I wasn't coming up with a new algorithm or anything. So that's kind of frowned upon, like applying something is, is not nearly as academic as creating something brand new. Right. Right. Yeah. But I made it through. <laughs> and that's probably when you, we kind of interacted <laughs> sometime after that as I got out, I went back to the same company I was mm-hmm. working with as an integrator, but mm-hmm. they were kind of in, in line with me and they said, Hey, we really think, you know, our customers are going to want to be able to analyze data and look at data. And this is mostly in the manufacturing space. Mm-hmm. Let's start doing this. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, yeah. I think, I think that what the reason why I wanted to bring that up and, and kind of highlight that is I think that your story is, is interesting in the fact that, um, you know, there's, there's this big, big push now where in the past, before everybody really got interested in data, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't a lot of people really that, that worked with the data, you know, and it was just kind of like, just, you know, I've always been interested in data. I've done stuff with data, but there was no title. There was no discipline. There was, there was nothing, you know, and then, and then data science, data scientists came to, to, you know, came up like around this time that you're talking about in the, in the, you know, about five, five, 
five to 10 years ago. But those are different too, right? You're, like you said, those are really these people that are in academia that are coming up with these new ideas or they're doing this heavy math. A lot of them are PhD, most of them are PhDs and they've just pretty much like been around and that's not really new, but this whole, this whole, uh, you know, uh, kind of collision or convergence or however you want to say it i think it's i feel like it's more of a collision between the uh industrial world and data science academia it created this weird uh this weird environment and then i think you're like an example or a very early example of somebody that that's adapting to that situation right and you you saw that okay hey i have an interest in data i'm Gonna, but I want to do it in, apply, in, a, in an applied way. I don't want to go to school and be in school the rest of my life. I actually still want to be out in the world and doing these things. And so I, th I think that for people that are trying to figure out what they want to do, if they haven't, you know, if they're, if they're getting ready to go to school or they're, they're in school and they're trying to figure it out, I mean, that, I think that you're, what, you've, what, you're, what you've done is probably like a, a nice path for people to take, especially if they've already been in industry maybe for a little while and they're thinking about, you know, I want to get in the data side of things, you know, understanding that, okay, you could do this, you could go back uh, to school maybe if you didn't learn it in college because college, you know, sometimes colleges don't, they don't like stay, the, the curriculum doesn't stay as, doesn't move as quickly as industry, right? Our industries move very quickly corporations move very very fast and so it could take years you know for courses to actually get in place or whatever so it's so it is a challenge and it's probably better now than it was when you were there i'm sure it's way better now but but anyway it's it, it's kind of cool that you did that i really um first of all i think that's uh you know i commend you for that because i i actually decided not to do that i was like you know um i'm gonna be like a a, a pick and shovel guy for those that are gonna go mine the gold um, I'm just going to hand you the tools you might need and help you assist you as much as I can, but I'm not going to really get into that, that too much. Uh, so, so let's, let's flip back to, uh, let's flip back to what you're doing at ball now. So you, so you, you've kind of gone through a lot of different industries. You've seen, you have some real world experience. You're looking at applied, uh, data science and you're, you, you, you take this new role at ball and you walk in, you don't know much about aluminum cans, if anything, other than like what I know. Uh, but you have a lot of experience and knowledge. Um, I mean, where did you start? You know, what what were you trying to do when you first showed up and where did you start? I mean, this just seems like this would be a really big challenge. And also maybe where where is Ball in this whole, you know, evolution of trying to, or this whole innovation path of trying to use data science? Because obviously they're making an investment because they hired you and probably other people like you to start doing this stuff. So I'm interested in all that. Sure. So it really is, um, you know, to use that that mining terminology a little bit more. You know, uh -huh. I I showed up at Ball uh, with tempered expectations, but with you know ready to mine for gold to some degree. Uh -huh. What you know, that's what I love doing, right? Yeah. I love messing with the data and exactly. And there was no promise that hey, you're going to jump in and that's what you're going to be doing. But that was part of the, that. That background was part of why I was brought in. Mm -hmm. And like with any project like this. Uh, you know, anyone who's done this for any time will tell you, well, you, you don't get to start mining for gold right away. You dig the ditches, you lay the pipe, like that's the hard part. And then mm -hmm. the getting the gold is the last 10%. And, right. and that has rung pretty true. I think with, with ball being the type of manufacturer they are, 
Um, you know, they're not high tech necessarily. From, mm-hmm. They're very good at metal forming. So they kind of were like, we know that there's value out here. We want to start building this, but we're not exactly sure how it fits with who we are now. Mm-hmm. And you come in and, and the first thing you start doing as a, as a kind of wannabe data scientist is you're like, well, where's the data? Let's start looking at the data. You yeah, know, I know yeah. there's going to be, a, you know, <laughs> I want to get in there and I want to start building algorithms. And, right. and that is the first place where you're like, oh, okay. So it's, you know, it's kind of spread around everywhere uh-huh. and it's not all that accessible. Uh, parts of it are, and, and they've been collecting it for a while, but maybe not at the, the quite quality that we want so, mm-hmm. so you just start to look around and you're just like oh wow this is going to be you know it's going to be all those uh those non kind of technical problems of getting groups of people together understanding you know the process you got to understand the how to make cans to understand what the important problems are mm-hmm. as you do that you start to, to learn about the you know when i first asked i said hey where's your operational data and they pointed me in one direction they're like it's all here right Okay. And eventually we can get you access to it. But you go out in the plant and you're like, oh, well, there are actually about 20 different places that the data, relevant data is being stored. So all of these kind of silos throughout that most people aren't within ball. We're not kind of thinking about as being right, relevant right. or why would you connect these things together? Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so it, it is just this process of starting to really get in it and lay that groundwork of Okay, so I know down the road we want to do um, even just scratching surface data science. Mm-hmm. And so knowing that, how do we start to build the systems and bring the right people together to get there with that eventual goal in mind? And we, kind of the alternate part of that is how do I build that business case that says okay, it's going to be worth it to do it because building that up to get together, it takes money. It takes some time. It takes other people helping out. It takes IT involvement, you know, champions in, in within the yeah. uh, business side. And what I learned quickly is that just because they hired you and said they want to do it doesn't uh-huh. mean that you get to just kind of start going and doing it. <laughs> oh, they didn't, they didn't give you a blank check, huh? Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> you know, um, I think, yeah, there's a lot there to, to talk about. I think that, uh, you know, so so cultural challenges, right? This is a, 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 an established industry. They've been making cans a long time. You're a new guy. I can imagine you're not going to be able to school them on how to make cans. Uh, they're going to be schooling you. So, you know, and, uh, you know, and then and then you you know immediately hit the problem where okay the data is a uh, is not in any way shape or form to where you could do the kind of work that you you want to do so you have like this 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 first hurdle and that's going to require money investment uh, teams uh, across you know across the organization different groups uh, that maybe in the past haven't talked to each other silo data all those things um, I think that's very very common I've, I've heard that a lot. Uh, from different people I've talked to, it's it's a huge challenge, and it's typically vastly underestimated um, when um, when people start t- trying to trying to do these types of things. Uh, so, so I mean, how how are you how are you doing on that front? Are you are you guys are you guys making some progress? Are you getting some data together? Because I imagine it's going to be a um, you know it's going to be a fairly you know, long process, right? I ma- imagine this can't happen overnight or it's not going to happen overnight and that, you you know, you need to start somewhere 
um, with with getting your data collected. And I guess, and the the question I have, so you know, how is that going? And then the other thing, the follow on question would be, you know, what are you going to do with that data? Because I know there's different ideas as far as how to um, use the data. And the one thing I hear people talk about is they're going to get all this data together and then they're going to analyze it all and they're going to magically see some correlation between two things that nobody ever saw and they're going to be able to put that into use and all of a sudden you know it's gonna, you know something great is going to happen and you know there was a big discovery a big eureka moment that nobody realized and then there's and then there's other more kind of like uh you have a problem and you're going to try to figure out how to use that data to kind of fix if, if that data can be applied to that problem so that's kind of like the follow-on question what your what's your approach once you do get the data or if you're getting it you know, what, what's your plans? What are you going to do with it? So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to answer those in reverse order. Okay. And perfect. part of that is because I think, <laughs> I think trying to understand how you want to use it helps inform how you build the system a little bit. And that's, you know, we don't know exactly what we want to do down the road, but I personally kind of have an idea about mm -hmm. what I think should be done. And so that helps me understand how to start laying, laying that groundwork. So there are kind of three areas that people coming in, coming into, I think anywhere, but it was similar with ball three areas where people are like, okay, we want, we want to use data science and predictive analytics and digital transformation and all these words to do mm -hmm. these things. And mm -hmm. one of them is exactly what you talked about. We want to find correlations in the data that we didn't see before. So, so that to me is an unsupervised data problem. We're okay. just doing statistics to try to find correlations. Right? Unsupervised. All right. All right. And then we want to do predictive um, maintenance. Okay. Mm -hmm. So everyone wants to do this. Like we want to predict when something's going to happen and, and that's going to save us in downtime. Right. Great. So those are, and then, then usually there's some sort of a, and there's many, many different applications, but some commonly is like, okay, but now we want to also be able to, um, control our operations better. So maybe it's multivariate control or it's some sort of predictive control. Mm -hmm. It may involve like predicting how things are going to run down the road mm -hmm. or controlling in a more, in a less, uh, maybe in a more statistics based um, approach. Okay. And, and those are not, not, all of those things are completely valid. It's what real like smart data scientists and people who have been running data driven companies that are kind of these digital natives have been able to do. Um, but you can't just start doing any of those things now without having like that under underlying foundation. And the, what I've seen the most happen, and this is true within ball is taking that correlation part mm -hmm. and really jumping onto that because that's the, seems like the easiest. You get a bunch of data, you correlate it and magic comes out of it. Mm -hmm. that tells you what you've been missing for the last 40 years. Right. Right. And and so right off the bat, you're like, well, if we've been doing this for 40 years and, and something just comes out of that, then we haven't been doing it very well. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> you've been making billions of these smart. things. You know? <laughs> people are fairly smart. <laughs> yeah. And so they figure out like correlations. Yeah. And, and, and that's exactly what you see is when you when I've seen data thrown together with the idea without like a very specific question, but with just like, let's look at the correlations, you get obvious correlations out mm -hmm. and you don't get true, real valid insight. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to ask really specific questions. And once you start asking those, you realize, Oh, I, Oh, I actually need pretty specific 
data to answer that as well. Mm-hmm. And so this is where we get to, um, I'm much more interested at this point, if I think there's an area we can get general correlations, let's do it. Like maybe a new data source opens up that we haven't been looking at for 40 years. Great place mm-hmm. to mine for general correlations. But I'm much more interested in getting to that supervised learning area where okay. I want to label my data right now. So if I want to do any sort of predictive, any sort of like really advanced machine learning, I'm going to need a rich source of labeled data. And so what that means is if a failure happens, I need to know what what the root cause of that was, or at okay. least have some sort of label that I can associate with it. Right. Like pump failure isn't good enough because mm-hmm. it could have been a bearing failure. It could have been cavitation failure. It could have been a process failure. Like all those things get mixed together. If you're looking for predicting pump failure, but you don't have the 10 different labels of what it might be, mm-hmm. you're not going to ever pull that out with data science. So I'm wanting to build systems that allow data to be labeled. And so what that means is your system has to be able to identify an event that occurs that can right. be labeled. And then we need to somehow label that. And so that then to go back to the first part of the question that says, well, how do we design something, a a data system that can do that, that makes Mm -hmm. that easy? Mm -hmm. Well, that, and this gets to my second big thing, like kind of key drive is I think that the data needs to be very openly available to anyone and everyone who needs to be able to access it. Mm -hmm. And um, it needs to be as much as possible self-documenting. Okay. So it's really hard to understand. Like I get right now a lot of data within an Excel spreadsheet and it, and it's a tag name and maybe a description, mm-hmm. right? Probably not a description, but what I really need to know beyond that is how did I get to these values? What were all the different, cause we know that by the time it gets up into a data historian, it's gone through three filters and four different exchanges and maybe three different, you know, five different control systems, who knows? Right. All of that is super critical for what that value actually means. So we have to have some way of self-documenting that. So when it comes to me, I know, I, or I can look into where did it actually come from? So, so in, I guess yeah. maybe having a, having a way to, to kind of understand, are you looking at like a, you know, at a value that was actually collected at the sensor, or maybe are you looking at something that's been averaged mm-hmm. or interpolated somehow? Um, is that kind of those types of things you need to, you need to understand uh, that, that information. Is there anything else like, cause I know like, uh, cause metadata, right. Having metadata around the information. Mm-hmm. Um, is there, is there anything else? Like what, what are the other types of things that you, you need to know that, that are helpful? <laughs> You hit a lot of the big ones. So is it summary data or not? Is it, um, you know, is it, is it coming, is it raw data from a sensor or Uh is it coming through a series of systems? Those are the big ones that are nice to know. Okay. Kind of on the early side. Now, if you're a data scientist working at the enterprise level um, where you're, you know, you may be working with data from all over the company that sums operational and finance and stuff. Well, now, obviously, you've gone through several more layers. And so at each layer, you need to make sure that there's documentation of what happened at that layer. And there's many ways to do that. I'm not going to say that I know mm-hmm. the best way to do that. Mm-hmm. But it's critical 
for that person who wants to be doing that enterprise analytics to understand the layers that it came through. And so I'm not working typically at that level. I'm much more in the middle kind of operational data level. Right. And so it is exactly what you mentioned. We just need to understand what, what's happened to that sensor. Most of the time it's sensor data by the time I get it so that I know how, what I can actually do with it. What's the, Mm -hmm. not only the quality, but just what is with the documentation behind Mm -hmm. Okay. And what I kind of liked, what my goal on that is then to have as few things interacting with that before it gets to a point where we're messing around with it up front. So I don't like, I don't want it to go through three or four different systems before it gets to my historian. I kind of want as raw a data as possible. Then I can start manipulating it and be, and through that manipulation, it gets documented. So we can look through the algorithms and say, okay, so we're taking these in and here we're filtering them and here we're normalizing them. Right. And that's obvious. It's not something done early on kind of in an automated way, undocumented way. Okay. So, you know, assuming you get, you get some label data that you can work with, what's your, what's your, what's your goals um, as far as what do you, what's your, you know, what are you trying to go after first, first and foremost, do you have anything in mind? Yeah. The first thing is I need to understand what the biggest problems are for Uh us to be working on. And so it comes down to measurement. So I'd love to just jump in and be able to start working on cool, predictive, um, maintenance stuff. That that was kind of my background. So that's something that always jumps in, but I don't know that that's the biggest problem. Uh And what I'm seeing is that intuitively there's, there's an understanding, a group understanding of, yeah, this area is a problem. This area is a problem. Uh but we don't have probably the measurements that we need. And so the first stuff that I'm working on is let's actually through our data system, figure out how to measure uh, as where our opportunities are, our downtime opportunities, Mm -hmm. our efficiency opportunities. Like we actually need to measure those and be able to say, look, you know, on these six plants, we have an opportunity that we need to go after Mm -hmm. and, that may be a new technology or a new algorithm or some new information that they need that would help reduce that. But if I don't have that guiding me, then it's really just kind of talking to people and saying, well, what is your biggest pain point? And, and that's nothing wrong with that, but you end right. up getting like 30 pain points. Yeah. It kind of becomes random. Right. And you end yeah. up guessing and you're just kind of like, uh, you know, you, you, you hypothesize about it, but you don't really, you don't really know for sure that, yeah. you know, I, I did, a I did some work, um, uh, a few years back with a company Gallo, they make wine um, out here in California, and they had a they I, I, they had something really interesting that kind of w- that touches on what you're saying, and that they 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 baselined everything right. They uh, they wanted to measure take measurements of of all their processes and capture all that data and put it in a system. So then, whenever they did it in an improvement or they did something they thought was going to be an improvement, right? They would. Um, they would review it the next year because they were seasonal. And so they would, they, they had this whole really cool cycle that they could go through and they would, they were, would prioritize their projects based on the the measurements that they had and where they thought they could, they could, where it made sense to invest their money. Then they went through and they, they did those projects, uh, turned them around. They, they'd have like three months of downtime. They would, they would get everything in and then they would run again the next season. And then they would come back to the table with, with, you know, their baselines and they, and they would see did it actually work or not. And I thought that was, um, I thought that was really cool. It wasn't really data science stuff so much as just really just kind of like, 
you got to be able to you got to be able to measure it first off if you're going to figure out if you're if you're making if you're saving money uh, making money losing money did it work did it not work you know uh and it, it's kind of amazing how that step can be completely missed right when people jump into this these things and they these initiatives and they're just like well uh okay uh, and and so so yeah that makes total sense to me and so we're probably just about out of time. We could, I think you and I could probably talk for, for another hour easy. Uh, it's amazing how quick, how quick this went. We definitely have to do this again. I would love to get back, check in with you to see how some of this is progressing. Uh, any last uh, thoughts, anything that we, you didn't really get off your chest that you'd just like to share with your group, maybe in a couple of minutes here? Uh, no, I, I guess the only thing is to go back to that, the point you made when, you know, I went back to school and that this is something that, that people can do. I'd say the, the area of expert, the amount of expertise you need to do within the manufacturing realm right now, uh-huh. do good data science is not, is not huge. You don't actually need, you don't need to go back and get a master's like I did. That was, okay. There are a lot of benefits I got out of it and it made sure. me do it. But just understanding those principles, starting to understand how to use those algorithms. Like if you're getting to the point where actually using stuff that, you know, was written up in papers from the seventies and eighties, you're probably on the cutting edge in the manufacturing world, uh-huh. right? Like <laughs> if you're using principal component analysis. You're like, you're at the the bleeding edge of general manufacturing uh-huh. and that's just you know, like that's old school for machine like data scientists right like they're like oh yeah whatever there's 30 different forms of principal component <laughs> analysis now like which one are you using so yeah. i think it's it's perfectly good to it, i'd encourage people to just go back and start kind of doing that mm-hmm. and knowing that though it's really cool to keep up on like neural networks and, and recognition of photos, photos and driving cars, like it's yeah. really a different world than where if you're in manufacturing, uh, is this a different world? Yeah. It, it sounds like to me the the problems are, are so fundamentally basic. Right. And that, but I mean, if you understand how data science works, like, you know, where you are now, right. And, and you, and you see the value of that and you know that, okay, we could get there. Um, and then you can help a company like Ball kind of start getting their arms around it in, in a real practical kind of way, you know, label data, you know, uh, let's, let's, let's get, uh, let's, let's get the data, uh, make it available to people, you know, um, documented, all those types of things, stuff that, um, is kind of boring. You don't really hear people talking about it, but it's absolutely critical, right? You have to have that. If you don't have those things, you'll never, you'll never be able to get to where you want to get to. And, and having people understand that those challenges and be able to figure it out is, is vital for these, for, for organizations, right. To be able to pull this off. Absolutely. All right. Well, Seth, this was great. Uh, thank you. That was perfect. Um, if people, um, uh, for those that, uh, want to maybe get a hold of you later on, do you have any contact information that, that you can share with the group? Sure. Um, you know, contact me for anything, probably just, uh, reach out by email, mm-hmm. uh, at gmail.com. Okay. And, uh, you know, I'm always interested in what people are doing. Successes. Uh, we, you know, we talked a little bit about how it, what you're doing with this podcast is great because it is so hard to get like no BS real, like <laughs> let's actually not 
advertise that we're changing the world here, but let's say what what are we really getting done and what yeah, needs what, to what, what does it really mean, right? Yeah. Huge to be able to have those. So anyone else out there who has those experiences, they can help me out uh, tremendously and I can let you know how things are going for me as well. Awesome. Awesome. All right, folks. Um, well, that's it for today. I'm Lonnie Bowling and I hope you will join me again next time for the Time Lords podcast. Uh, we'll see you later. Thanks. <laughs>